excited. I'm excited. Finally, it's another episode of Brevity Box, a podcast of hot takes from our funky little soapbox on any and everything in, well, no particular order. Brevity Box is part of the Ruminations Radio Network, produced by Area 42 Studios and Sound. Go to www.ruminationsradionetwork.com to explore the variety of podcasts and interesting hosts that are part of our network. Now, we are still a man down here at the BBX with Becky still out sick. I mean, technically, thankfully, feeling much better and due back for a big episode 50 that I am looking forward to just to be able to get to 50. Um, And that is really just around the corner like this weekend. So something to look forward to. Can't wait, Becky. And I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm sure Brando is, too. Now, on this episode, of course, it's me. Triple C and Brando over there bringing his trademark positive attitude and contagious happiness. And we're not alone. This episode is for the love of movies of all kind, dramas, musicals, action, superhero flicks, and period pieces, all of them. If you've been listening to the BBX, then you know that one of the podcasts that I frequently recommend on the Ruminations Radio Network is the Cinephile Hissy Fit podcast. Now, I could easily take five in uninterrupted minutes to sing its praises if you get the reference you've been listening to chf already all knock right, it off with the five minute no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh to talk about the chemistry of its hosts or just how it's fun and addictive but we thought why not t- take the time to get to know the host of cinephile hissy fit and casablanca don and william johnson as we know them uh we're going to get to know them a little better and we're going to split it up into two episodes and focus on an episode for each of them because i could easily talk to both of them for hours on end so just going to do it separately and make it easier for everybody now joining brando and i tonight is one part of the hissy fit hosting duo and it's a pleasure to welcome him to the show casablanca don Welcome to the BBX. Thank you for coming on Brevity Box. It's really exciting for me. No, thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Brando. It's really cool to be here. And uh, I-, I promise I won't use the bell more than that one time. No, no, no. It's great. I, was, I didn't expect it and it made it perfect. Right, right. Well, why, no, it's fine. I thought for a moment Charlie had gotten the soundboard and I was just about to be very upset. <laughs> See, like a cat <laughs> crawled across the keyboard, right? Here it comes. It, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I wish we had more of that you use really well. You know, you get used to that, and it's um, it's almost got that Pavlov effect. You anticipate it coming, right? You know, you you definitely it helps get through. Uh, I don't know how to explain. It's you feel like more you're part of the podcast. I wish we had something like that. We we don't really have it right now. We, we kind of used it a couple times, but nothing it, permanent. It's low tech. I mean, it's just a bell I stole from a classroom teacher sitting here on a desk in, you know, in Chicago. It's technically it's a musical note. This is a low A. I, I couldn't tell you what that means. I'm not a musical. <laughs> I just stole the bell, you know, like, ooh, Brando's musical. Brando, is that a low A? Oh, I'm actually, I'm actually tone deaf. Oh, you know, I can't, I could never tune my sax by ear. Huh. That's crazy. We're learning some new things about anybody, everybody about that no i yeah it's a no we do it just to have something that kind of alerts the five minute piece to it and more than anything it just kind of well at least in our early episodes it kind of kept us honest to the format we talked about doing will and i of you know five minutes for one person five minutes for another just to kind of let people air out what they want to say and then open it up for open discussion where we can just you know throw punches at each other with with our mouths and words but yeah the bell comes in handy when it can so 
Well, so you know, I, I want to work. I don't my have way something into- as good as the bell. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> That's your bell. But I do have the most glorious sound of all time. And um, yeah, we're, anticipation we're for it. Oh, did that not work? Oh no! Oh no! no sure, no, it didn't. <laughs> I have this really good fart clip on Instagram though. I oh, this piece of shit! This piece know. of shit soundboard software. <laughs> See, tell you what, Mitch. Get on it. Roger, zero G, and I... Uh, we're going to insert sound on that dead pause, right? Just make Correct. it whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> Audience, right fill in, in your own. Now, I, I don't want to go too far into what you do when you're not uh, critiquing movies, but, you know, I have a soft spot for educators, and you mm-hmm. kind of wear it on your sleeve. That's your... Yeah. Your, you know, I, I didn't know... Were you... Uh, an, what subject do you teach? I, I am in my 20th year of teaching. Uh, I'm a 42 years old, going on 43. And uh, I'm currently a kindergarten through eighth grade computer teacher. I'm the, and I'm the oh, techn- technology coordinator of my school. So I'm the guy who teaches computers to little kids and older kids. And uh, I am the fake, horrible, unqualified IT person for the building, which means if it has a plug Nightmare. or wire, I have to pretend to fix it. And, Nightmare. and I, I kind of don't know what I'm doing. I got this job, or at least this version of the job, because I'm I'm more of a elementary teacher and a social studies teacher. All subjects, stay in front of a room, do all the the informational dumping that I that a good teacher does that, you know, involves kids and all that, tells good stories. But we, we got to people the, hooked. You, right. You gotta be a good storyteller. We got to the we got to the pandemic two years ago, and where we all it, coming up on two years, where we all got sent home. You know, right around March, we all got bounced home, and everyone kind of peed down their leg and said, "What? How the fuck are we going to do this?" And oh I'm God. I I had enough experience in in all that stops along the way of my career. It was my first year at this school, where um, I knew how to create digital classrooms. I knew how to video conference. I knew how to do you know build a website that you can put information. Oh, so you really in. were the tech guy. I was. You know, and I did it as a teacher's kind of thing. Like everyone else was very antiquated, you know, folders and Xerox printouts and all that. And I was a pretty paperless person as it was doing middle school social studies. So when we when we all got desperate and we all landed in this in this pickle, I kind of stepped up and said, Hey, well, you know, I know how to do this. I can show you how. And like how to turn your classroom digital, how to, you know, use some of these tools that are here and use some of these tools that are there and i we digital and computers and remote kind of became our lifeboat for finishing that school year and a big chunk of the next one and in doing so i impressed my bosses to the point where like damn you're really good at this do you want to move from just middle school social aids where you're kind of the last man on the totem pole if there's not enough enrollment we don't even have social aids the other teachers teach it and into something more permanent and something more you know helpful and I said, yeah, if it means I keep my job, sure. So I did that. And so for the last two years, I've been the learning how to be a computer teacher after being a longtime classroom teacher. And it's it's weird. It's fun. Uh, but I think I found a cool niche. And I don't, I, I'm definitely that old dog who has learned how to, you know, learn new tricks. That's interesting to me. I mean, holy shit, th- I wish my dad could learn new tricks. Oh, I, I, I oh, tell well, you what, if you would have uh, told yeah, me. All parents could learn new tricks, man. If you would have told me even five years ago, let alone 10 years ago or 20 years ago when I started, that I'd be doing what I'm doing now in the, from just the teaching part, I would have told you you're crazy. Like, there's no way school. Well, it wouldn't have been believable like 10 years no, ago, right? Not I mean, even the, close. The idea just wouldn't have even been feasible. No, we had, you had cl- classroom, you were still doing like the computer lab down the hall with the 12 right. ancient Apple IIEs that were Playing like, playing Oregon Trail and shit. Right. Like, not, not, yeah. <laughs> not, 
digital assignments and annotation software and all the things that kids can do now, let alone the zooms and the interactive this and interactive. And your kids, like six, seven year old kids are doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Wow. I'm, I'm paperless. You know, I don't, I don't Xerox a thing and I haven't for a long time. And, uh, and so I kind of brought that in into at least for my school and modernize where they're at. And I've been able to hold on to a good job doing it. And, but you're right though. It's, the kids learn it faster than the adults because they're when they go home that's what they have too they're kind of natives to it and we're the old dogs that are are still clumsy with it still clumsy yeah totally now do you first off you have to keep in mind something here for Uh brando and for myself we're both grown-ass men with no kids so some of these things about kids and what they're doing is like fascinating we're like whoa really Uh you know like i i wouldn't have thought about it but it makes sense that they would be doing it in that way right i have um, a third grader and a first grader home myself so like are they the same do their classes like is it mostly yeah like when, when we all got bounced when we all got bounced we were all home where my wife and i we were renting at the time when this covid stuff came two years ago where we all oh, kind of had yeah. to pit we had to kind of retrofit our home to be like all right you're gonna sit here at this little table and be on your ipad listening to your teacher don you talk too loud you're gonna have to go downstairs in the basement (laughs) where you can go yell at your kids through zoom and we all kind of and my wife's a teacher too so we all four of us had to kind of carve out a spot to learn be or teach and it was nutty and it still is so wow man now do you Mm -hmm. feel like the now you've been a critic for how long compared to being an educator? Oh, see, that's, well, I mean, not, I mean, not, you you know what I mean? When when you could call yourself, I don't know how, what accolade, or if you get like a sash. Oh, I wish. No, a a significant ascot that you have to wear to meetings or something. Yeah, no, I wish. (laughs) No, I, uh, if, if you count high school and college newspaper, which is where I kind of started falling in love with that sort of thing, about 25 years, uh, casually in terms of like making a website and doing it for real, or at least trying to kind of be a first-time blogger and a DIY guy, that's coming up on um, coming up on twelve years. So, and then wow. in terms of like press credentials, like being on the list to see things, not just on my own, but being you know being invited by studios and things to see movies in that kind of way, that's been about seven years. So, yeah, I'd say at the level you're asking for, about seven years. So you're, I mean, you've been climbing the ladder like crazy. Well, yeah. not only climbing the ladder, but at 12 years ago and being like, is that when you first started getting online with a website blogging? Yeah. It, 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 um, it, it came about with, um, well, one, I, I, I loved doing the movie stuff when I was in college and in high school. Like I was, I, everyone knows their, everyone in college has their movie guy, you know, the, the one dorm that has like all the VHS oh, movies sure. that everybody borrows. Right. I worked at a video store on the side and I wrote, you know, wrote the reviews for the college paper and I was, I was everyone's movie guy and I dependable and everyone needed a review and wanted to know where everything was. And that was kind of my, my, I don't know, my cheesy college popularity. So when that ended and I had to grow up and get a job, cause I knew even then in the year 2000, 2001, when I graduated that I knew journalism was, was a dying thing. Online was coming and was going to wipe it out. And sure enough, it really almost has. So I had to grow up, be a teacher, you know, do a regular job. So for, I don't know, gosh, that'd be about eight, yeah, eight, nine years. I in the really, odds, in the odds, I really didn't like write or do anything with, with reviews. I still saw movies like a, like a fan. And then I found Facebook, you know, like, like a lot of people do, you know, their high school and college classmates, you know, encouraged me to get on there and, and, you know, find friends and find old buddies. And that was about the time where, yeah, I was about 10 years. Uh, yeah. I don't know about 
less than 10 years out of high school, a couple of years out of college. And when the first thing people asked me when they, when they would, Oh, Don, how you doing? You know, been a long time. They're like, Hey, do you still do the movie stuff? I'm like, no, I kind of really don't. They're like, Oh, you should, you should start a blog. And at the time I was the old dog. We're like, what the fuck is a blog? So right. I, 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 I kind of thought it out and had some help where I kind of just like, well, what does this look like? What can that be? And, and what would that look like to, to be unique and different? Because even though th this wasn't what it is now, like now there's letterboxd and if I, everyone's a critic, so to speak, and everyone can kind of be their own persona and thing, I had to ask myself, what would, what would I be and what would it do? And I couldn't remove my, remove myself from the teacher lens that I have. So my little niche was, you know, I thought about it where I'm like, you know what, if I write movie reviews, I want the, the kind of movie reviews that my students could read if they had to, or something that teaches something. Cause I can't get that bone out of what I, how I move and all that. So my little niche was every movie has a lesson. And to me, every movie, no matter what challenge accepted has yeah, something I you can learn from it. And from the serious to the farcical, you know, so you can like a movie like Jackass, you can learn things for days, <laughs> whereas yeah. you can do that with Schindler's List too. So that was kind of the niche. And I started kind of writing that way. And um, I found a place to get published further than just my, you know, DIY blog, which was at the time examiner.com where they were doing regional writers and all that. Um, that had a big enough website footprint where I was able to network and meet some people and, and get on the, the PR press list here in Chicago. And I've never looked back. Um, I've uh, gotten into critics organizations and groups. Uh, my website's grown enough to kind of stand alone where instead of begging to see movies, movies come to me, which is great. And same thing with the group affiliation, being able to vote for year end awards, even if they're local ones and now national ones. And, and, um, it's been a hell of a ride and the website's at the point now where I, you know, I got ad revenue pulled to it where it, it's not a hobby that costs me money anymore. It's enough of it is paying for itself, which is really cool. And yeah. It's impressive, and, man. It, I mean, I, going, I, yeah. Same reading thing. about you is impressive. I mean, seeing, seeing all the, all of your accolades and I mean, it's right mm -hmm. there on the page. It's, it's uh, the one that caught my attention was uh, top 50 writers in the topic of movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, even if it's some site aggregator and blogger, it's it's cool to kind of make that level. And the 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 bucket list thing for me that I never thought was possible until they kind of opened the doors and, and made it a little more possible for online people, not just print people, was Rotten Tomatoes. Like even before yeah, I Rotten started, even before yeah. I started twelve years ago, that was kind of the thing. Everyone that was the oh, what's Rotten Tomatoes say? So to be able to be to be able to contribute there and put some reviews out there and put my name on them is. That's really cool. And if I if I never get higher than that, I gravy, I've made it, you know. Or or made or, it to me. Or special editions Lord of the Rings box sets sent to you. Oh, see, that's that's the gravy part is like <laughs> with, with, <laughs> sounds with like good gravy, man. It is good gravy. So with the press connections, it's turned into a thing where there's that level of stuff where Warner Brothers wants coverage for their lots of companies and studios want want coverage for their physical releases. So in doing so, they'll send you a screener copy. I just didn't think they'd send a screener copy of like you know the two hundred fifty dollar box set of Lord of the Rings, let alone two of them. So um, yeah. yeah, but to get there, it took getting same thing. It took having press standing, asking to get on that list, showing proof that you can put some coverage out there. Like the work still had to be put in. You know what I mean? No, I absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, uh, I identify with that in a odd sense. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I built a remodeling business for yeah about 12 years and the first six or seven was doing everything I could get my hands on. That was the and thing. Then, 
yeah at some point yeah do anything learn from everything keep looking for opportunities to grow and at some point it it started becoming a lot easier because i had built that reputation and um, it helped yeah so i can i i really relate to that and have a lot of respect for for that on multiple levels i did before i ever tried to do it Mm -hmm. or messed up doing it or did it well and so seeing anybody that's put that kind of pound of flesh on the scale and have it work out for them i have a respect for that well thank you particular brand of bravery you know because that doesn't not everybody is comfortable doing that right no i've i've met a lot of people in the 12 years who just like me like have a cool idea have some energy to do something creative flex that creative muscle and they fizzle out in a year or like 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 you and i with the podcast here like we're coming up on episode 52 and i i and and lots of people lots of people fizzle out you know lots of people fixation is fun yeah oh i know but (laughs) but I've met a lot of people who who talk the talk and and want to be want or or ha- chase the wrong things and then never go anywhere. And I admit there's a right. there's a level of critics who are who are just as just as DIY as me and they're more they're they enterprise in a way where it's just it's just about the ego and the chance to go get what they want to get or think they can collect bylines or get published in one right. place one time. Clout. And I'm like, it's about yeah. some sort of weird self emulation of clout. right and it, but i've i have found in my years at least that that's just not sustainable like i could kiss a lot of ass go to a lot of film festivals beg for a lot of bylines you know try to network with a lot of editors and just and then once or twice get published on some big site just to say i have and maybe make my 300 dollars of one-time freelance money but what what do i have after that you know i i have my one shot in this, at this in the spotlight and that's it whereas doing something that is sustainable and something that can grow something you can make yourself i find to be a whole lot more rewarding than watching everyone else around me who wants that chase now i i tip my hat to them because they are they have a different gear than i do for that sort of thing they still put sure. the work in and they they want they want the real thing they want the full-time thing they want the published gig they want the they want to be david ehrlich at, at indiewire they want to make rogeruber.com they want to right. you know be a super published professional and I'm just happy contributing, building a brand, sharing what I've learned with somebody else and just being super consistent and and having my work quality not dip because of that. And and that's where it keeps climbing for me, where it's it's the Critics Choice Association, it's Hollywood Film Critics Association, it's all it's the work well, frankly, is good enough class, that it sticks right? around. There's a class yeah. to that, I think. I and feel like there is. Now, yeah. But I'm very okay with that middle class that i'm at like i like you said about the years to put in like it's gotten to the point where it's easier now i don't have to beg and scrap and i don't have to beg for stuff i can take movies off i don't have to feel like i have to review everything just to maintain anything there's an established thing to that and when i listen to you i still feel clearly that you love movies whereas some of those other guys that that you're describing that are in it to be you know big time and have the hustle for it i've read those guys i don't feel like it's hard for me to feel like they love Mm -hmm. movies right they might love some movies but they love they i have found those folks to be i'm not going to name drop them here but i could um i have found those folks to be about them 
that the, this whole yeah. the whole yeah. chase that they're out that they're about is whatever persona they feel like they need to be the name that they feel like they are the ego that they want to share you can hear it in the first or hear it or read it in the first two paragraphs of their reviews they if think they they're dr- the main character <laughs> exactly if, if you see a first person pronoun that n- the movie is secondary by that point. It's about that. Right. They all can't be as good and impartial as the God of critics, Jay Sherman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I wish I, I, I'm drawn more to, but no, it, to me, that's kind of the rules I've got where, um, it, put the movie first. And at the same time, um, you know, put a quality of work in there. Like, I think the other thing is those folks who are super grinding for it and, and chasing, it's work like it, it, it they're 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 reviewing so many films that they either not not interested in or have to do to feel like they can maintain whatever grip they have for something a little higher where it's about it becomes work more than about creative pleasure and and and, and expression for me if it i don't want to say it like a professional athlete but like if it ever becomes more work than fun i don't want to do it anymore but and that's yeah like i you got to have the fun part to it because that's that's what these movies are for they're for the entertainment they're for the escapism they're not for study hall and work well i also think that there's some element of growth to how you i want to see the person go through those evolutions Mm mm-hmm as I'm a fan, what regardless, you know, I like yeah. hearing, uh, especially when I, I have someone I've listened to before go back on a second viewing and change their mind. Sure, absolutely. You know, like, um, you know I'm a fan of a, a a YouTube reviewer and also director Stuckman, Chris Stuckman. I don't know Chris, you? but I'll look him up. Yeah, you know, I just enjoy his approach to it. It's clear he loves movies, and I've. I also hear the guy reasonably just sort of backtrack and try mm-hmm. to convince people not to be so harsh on movies. And I get a little ruffled about that when people come out of a movie just full of venom, you know, yeah. like, and I, that's happened sometimes, but rarely. That's, that's you know, the next rarely. thing I'm seeing when it comes to trends of, of watching my peers next to me and behind me or in front of me, or wherever is whatever this click culture is that we're in, thanks to social media, that vitriol unfortunately sells. And I wish, and I, and I wish it didn't, you know, like everything's a fucking masterpiece or everything's trash. Like there's like, those are the things that (laughs) get eyes. That idea from this and it wasn't as good. Oh, I know. Or they, 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 they keep punching up this notion of expectations because they've been feeding themselves on trailers and bullshit for three months before the movie came out. And now, you know, no matter what that movie does, it won't be the weird little warped picture their egotistical mind had in their head and then yeah it's either a masterpiece or it's trash and i there's just a i find that there's a lack of nuance of just middle you know of compromise and where you know us critics who do this stuff you know one star to five star not everything's one and not everything's five there's this massive amazing middle that's called two three and four you know and yeah, and he- heaven yeah. forbid you call something that someone else thinks is a masterpiece just very good. And I, well, I can't stand those kind of good, right? Like I still yeah. eat ramen noodles from time to time. Yeah. And I think they're fucking great. Like I don't need it to be same here. Uh, 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 just a beautiful pho from no, the, I, I, the I, I could totally dig on some, some just up ramen sure. and enjoy it. Yeah. I, I don't, there's a time I, and a place for all that. And I mean, some of my yeah. favorite movies are movies that are not critically good by yeah. any measurable way. I, I mean, 
I'm one of those guys that yeah, I'm one of those guys that that believes in guilty pleasures, and I've met I've met more critics. I've met more critics than I've than I care to remember that. Just like, how could you do that? It's either good or it's not. I'm like, no, it, it's it's <sighs> terrible and it's fun. So what? You know how many times I've seen Young Guns or Bill there and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Right. Or, or, or Point Girls. No shame. I, I, yeah. I, <laughs> my go-to. Great example. My go-to when I describe like the idea of guilty pleasures to people is Anaconda with John Voight and Jim. Oh, Lopez. right. See, you know, a creature feature, you know? It's terrible, but I have a blast. Yeah, I I I'm, I am a hundred percent in love with movies like The Color Purple and sure, but to take you to a different place. I mean, yeah. I, I mean that's easy pluck, right, Spielberg? But yeah, like you can I mean, do the same with Schindler's List. Like I can sit, like everybody can watch that movie and go, "Damn, masterpiece, five stars." Right. But they'll never watch it again because of just the difficulty of what it is. But sometimes whereas, you just want to watch gonna roll out Young Guns. Yeah, not rock shit like that. <laughs> you know, just completely ridiculous. I think there's uh, room for those movies, and yeah. I'm, I've mentioned old, you know, that '80s era of Tom Hanks uh, bad B movie comedies uh-huh. is one of my favorite. <laughs> the good uh, the man right with there. one red shoe. Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, I've 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 just talked about those movies were always ever present. You know, I yeah. watched. Working Girl was, I mean, I've seen, all, yeah. I, I can't, I couldn't tell you, you know, that's where a, we all grew up, but you know, and I feel like the kid, I, I don't want to call it millennials, but let's do it anyway. But uh, I feel yeah. like the millennials don't, haven't Tread got it lightly. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm an elder millennial. Fuck those right. kids. What were you going to say? But no, the idea is that we grew up on with a very steady and available buffet of B movies from skin and action and tweed movies to the stuff you're talking about. The kids today don't have that. Oh man. They have, they have cable television and all the Disney, like all their, all of their B stuff comes from YouTube and television. They don't have B movies. That makes me realize something fairly sad. Kids today have no Elvira of their own. No, not even close or creep show or any terrible cheese. I guess it would be on YouTube. Like you said, or, or they they, they don't there's no tongue in cheek with it like horror, horror films in general are are steady and they're they're always going to be here because they're cheap to make and they make easy money like James Wan and what he's doing with the Conjuring and all the different little universes he's made but those are all well and good as whatever elevated horror they want to call them but like they're not cheesy B movies and some of that is maybe some PC culture where we're never going to have Revenge of the Nerds and Meatballs again you know but. Oh man! Or blazing saddles. Yeah, or even American Pie. We can get into this century and still have stuff that wasn't going to play. So, so I have questions like kind of along that lines about American Pie and whether those movies would even could they ever be made again? Kind of thing. But (sighs) uh, you can't get consent from a pie. No, they wouldn't make it. I know. I got one question that kind of you know between being a a critic and being an educator, and and then Mm. of course with every movie having a lesson and you not being able to escape your your life career as an educator where on the venn diagram between the two what part of each world is benefiting the other like do you feel like that's a good question the educator part of it is made you i mean probably mutual i'm sure there's some crossover but sure no i think one thing that has come from my education side of my brain and hops over to my film critic side is the notion of subjective versus objective I, in the hmm. teaching world, everything is graded and graded on a rubric, on a scale with objectives in mind. Like I come from a very objective filled workplace where that's how I'm wired. 
and I've been wired that way for 20 years. So when people do the, oh, artist subjective, wishy-washy bullshit, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I said yes to a degree, but there's still goals that these movies have been marketed for, created for, made for, shot for. Like an example I use a lot of times is um, those movies, like, here, the Hallmark Christmas movies. You know, yes, on the scale of quality up there with Schindler's List, they're 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 crap. But what are they for? You know, they're what is their objective? Their objective is to just be easy, light, sexy and cute, humorous enough, charming enough to just keep an audience occupied for the hour and a half on their couch with some hot chocolate and their significant other objective met you know like it's easy yeah, to digest easy to digest and to me there's intent there outside of that whole oh art is subjective when, yeah, no, when no, you can't I have guilty you. pleasures and bullshit like that so i feel like especially when you see those at least lately when it comes to trends like you see all these arty auteur high-end filmmakers like scorsese and denis villeneuve and and i uh, and i want to put roland emmerich on the list of those good guys but like all these people who are bad-mouthing superhero movies and intellectual property movies like star wars like where they get discounted to the point of not calling them cinema and i'm like bullshit it's it's all cinema and i don't want to i know that probably sounds like a black lives matter versus all lives matter kind of bullshit thing but this is just movies where it's it's a business first and an art exposition exposition second and there are there's success to be found in the hallmark movies there's success to be found in cheap easy to create horror movies and there's success to be found in the art house stuff uh it's to each their own and what they can but it all counts as cinema somebody still teamed up and sat down and created even the crap that it is and when you do it right box macaroni and cheese tastes just fine and you and at the same time, box macaroni and cheese can be made better, and box macaroni and cheese can still be screwed up. And that's where artist objective is bullshit. There's still objectives to no, no, no. You got to get it right and get the right ingredients to even be on the board. So that's kind of where that goes a little well, bit. That's that's what I was saying about like uh, you know still eating ramen or still going yeah. out for for a cheap Big Mac. You know there are things that you love that are just uh, a, you have a wide palate. Of mm -hmm. what you can choose from, and like we were talking about earlier, there are things that are easy to digest, and yeah, and certainly they're making it for that. I I, I started years ago, uh, you know, for a long time, Brando and I have had this uh, playful back and forth banter because he's a complete, uh, fully washed iPhone, uh, sub, you know, just fully in the well, iPhone, iPhone universe, thirteen right? Pro actually arrives tomorrow. So yeah, so to, to make my point. And uh and I don't really think that big of a deal of it. And he's always giving me crap. And I and I, you know, you've always had those Good kind of natured, playful war. crap. I don't Absolutely. actually take I, I'm not one of those psychopaths that takes that seriously. No, no, no. And for no. any of you in our Discord, don't take the console war joke seriously. Yeah, no. <laughs> please don't take the console war joke seriously. I'm just trying right. to be a shit stirrer. Yeah, that it's trolling working. everybody. It works. Um, but no, you yeah, know, that that I started saying to people, um, I'm I'm not their customer, right? I'm not right. who they're making it for. And I feel like that's the same that's with my entertainment, me, you know? right? I just don't feel like they're like I'm cool with watching friends, I'm cool with watching Schindler's List, I'm yeah. cool with long discussions friends. on serious movies or mm -hmm. long discussions about not so serious movies that I just absolutely adore, or yeah. what, or about reason. what movie is the best white savior movie and why it's the Last Samurai. <laughs> now See, now we're talking. Now See, we're talking. Now yeah. we're talking. You know, it's a good shift actually. Before we get well, into no, talking, to go uh, back to your Venn diagram idea, sure, yeah. I think another place that it that it kind of flushes Thank it out for, for myself it, yeah. is um 
another place where it fleshes itself out is I kind of, it's kind of head versus heart, you know, and I call that from the film critic end of it, I call that favorite versus best. Like you can make, like I can sit down well, you and measure it a few times on the couch. Yeah, definitely. So I, I can measure movies that I know are really well done and a fine example of their medium or craft and all that, but I'll never watch them again, you know, versus a movie that might not be the, the, the most amazing revolutionary thing in the world, but you know what? It's going to last for a long time and find its own audience. And there are, I feel Iron like absolutely like that counts as a favorite oh, yeah. you know so but uh, the, the cool Louis part Gossett is Jr. the cool part is from the venn diagram standpoint there are some special movies out there that that are both that land right in the middle where they are a favorite because you love them and they found their audience and they're also best because man are they a hell of an example of medium and that's when you can find those those movies that land in the middle of a little bit of favorite and a little bit of best those are special and that's kind of fun to find yeah, it is. On that note, before we get into some more deep movie talks and some things that I kind of picked up looking at your, uh, uh, for instance, your best mild to wild, I had some questions on there, a couple things that stood out. Mm -hmm. um, but before that, we're going to take a quick break and hear about another podcast on the Ruminations Radio Network. We'll be right back. Last Samurai is so fucking good. I love that summary. It's Agreed. really good. And I don't care that it's a white savory movie. Just tell a good story. Exactly. And they do, you know? I just like Put calling that to try and make people uncomfortable. Well, no, and it, yeah, the other thing is... <laughs> Mostly my dad. Yeah, and the other thing is you're telling history from antiquated times. You're going to get antiquated ideals. A Tarzan, a Tarzan movie from source material of 1910s is going to sound a little shitty. And apparently in this movie, uh, you know, a very pale five foot four samurai, like, yeah. you know... Sounds totally believable. Helped someone get smoked on the battlefield? I, I right. it's, it's been a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like solid movie, though. I like that one. Great movie. Mm -hmm. in, in reading up a little bit on your accolades and on your website, you had something that caught my eye. It wasn't so much that I was trying to look at every detail, and but it was something that you put down there, right? In your top five mile, uh, mild to wild characters. Okay. Dude... I can't tell you the big ass smile you brought to my face with Laverne Cox from Police Academy. Oh, I know. You know, like yeah. I mean, so that was on another podcast. The good the guys beauty. over at uh, Cinema Jaw. There's some local Chicago guys that they're they're just talkers. You know, a lot like you two, where they just kind of get some topics. They have some ideas, but yeah, top five, mile to wild. Uh, Laverne Hooks. Cox though, Police Academy, yes. right? I mean that uh -huh. for anybody who hasn't seen it. Uh, I, I think anybody and everybody should see movies like Police Academy or House Party or uh, Animal House or any of those old. And that's why you should support your local art house theater so they don't close that's down. High right. aloft. Yeah. Oh, no. The character's name is Laverne Hooks, actress Marion Ramsey. Just to get it right for the edification there. Oh, sorry about that. Got that yeah. wrong there. Yeah. Because, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, Laverne Cox is that. Uh, She's the actress on what is it? Orange is the new black or something like that. Oh, that's right. No, you're right. right. You're right. But the the I messed that last note. I have to remember that and try to edit that out and make it sound better. But honest mistake. Uh, Police Academy as a movie though, that character was mousy, had a really silent voice until a switch is flipped and instantly became an aggressive alpha dog and took over the situation. I just hadn't. I there was not one iota of me that would have thought of that character. And when you put it, when I read it. Mm -hmm. It kind of stunned me and got me smiling. Yeah. It, that's that. Yeah, that's a fun list. And that's a great pull. Yeah, the other oh, yeah. one, and kind of to to 
Brando's white savior movie to get a, a reaction out of people. Um, you said narrator for Fight mm-hmm. Club. Yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of the movie in general. And okay. uh, I've, I've read a little bit of Chuck Palahniuk and the guy's out of his gourd about a lot of stuff and a little, and not just a little creepy. Uh, but I, I mean, his reads can be really fun. And uh, in the book and in the movie, uh, I never thought of it as like an edgelord kind of movie. In fact, I hadn't mm. heard that term until recently <laughs> where people were talking of, and they talked about it in a group of movies that I love. So I didn't know I had an aff- uh, affection for edgelord movies like fight club or falling down. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't, I wanted to throw that out there for you. I, to I just think- see what bounces back there. Oh, Go ahead. What are you going to say? Brandon? See, I think that speaks more about the person saying that than the, than the piece of art itself. I agree. I was going to chime in. Yeah, that so that was idea. sort of my question, that's so, right? That, that's, I never, that's, that's I've never thought looking of those like that. For Ed yeah. Laurie shit. yeah, where where okay. you are in your life, you know, and how much of that allegory that's happening in the movie do you press on yourself? And yeah, because that and, that's a that's a film bro thing, and there's a whole term for that. So yeah. Oh, I wonder if there's a lot of crossover with the gym bros. I think it's <laughs> so. So no, what I'm saying, like from what I can tell, film bros. You know, because I'm not old enough to be a film bro, or I'm too old to be a film bro. Um, film bros are all those people who just watch nothing but Nolan and Tarantino and Scorsese movies and call themselves, you know, film experts. Oh, they want to be pretentious fucks. Gotcha. Yeah, uh. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, where and if you in the pattern of them, apparently it's getting worse. Where it's like all these like male dominated, you know ego-driven films where there's not a lot of rom-com or nuance or softening in there anywhere. It's just, you know, hard-ass people pretending to be hard-asses, especially with internet courage Twitter. Oh, 100% internet courage Twitter. Yeah, I could see that. I just, I had never heard that term and associating those movies, and I didn't look at them that way. I've gotten different things from those movies the more, yeah. uh, more often I've watched them. Um, and I have a bunch of movies i want to ask you about and a bunch of movie related questions i want to ask sure, you about but before i do that we've gone so far through this cast and i i have not hit up on what brought you together with will to create the cinephile hissy fit podcast and okay. i think we should maybe sure. go there for a second because i'm interested you know i brando and i yeah. have known each other for a really long time and we've had that you know oh my god long friendship my life i'm getting so fucking old <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and you know it's always you know even though we've gotten much closer as friends there's been that that regulated tension of disagreement on certain things whatever it is and you've we've mentioned it here on the cast uh it, do you have that same kind of old long enduring friendship with no it seems like you do no we we are brand new friends to each other so that's interesting yeah to me so i i started uh that outlet the outlet that sponsors this cast for us is 25 yl 25 years later site and uh they're 25 well media we're going to get rebranded into being film obsessive within the month and um i um I answered an open call looking for writers to write for their site. And it's been great because their site gets it's, it counts as being published in, in an edited place and they get fantastic web traffic where they have gosh, 250,000 you know, visitors, unique monthly visitors a month where that's way more than I was pulling, you know, doing the DIY blog. So for me, it's, it's been my little outlet shingle to get published and raise my game and raise my press standing, which has enabled me to, 
get farther where I am with all the Critics' Choice stuff and all that, and it's been great flying that flag. That's when awesome. I when I started there, Will was a fellow writer and, and a part-time editor of the film department there, so my work would, would pass through Will's desk. We'd bullshit on the same Discord that we kind of do with with uh, ruminations, and and Will and I, you know, became you know just friends on Discord through the outlet. We became friends on social media, and uh, we would just always fuck with each other about just different film opinions that we had, and and just yell at each other through Twitter. And I hate Twitter, so I only go on there to promote my work and answer dumb shit that he tags me on so <laughs> i i would end up being like the jack lemon you know neat person with the credentials and the film level this and film level that and will would just be the boisterous hey motherfucker kind of guy and antagonizer the the, the shit stir in the antagonizer for sure and we he got to the point where like hey man we sh- we should put this stuff on tape would you ever want to do a podcast and i'm like yeah i, I i'm be interested and if you got what, what do you have in mind? And we kind of fleshed out the idea. It was at the same time where Andrew Grievous, the, the editor in chief and head honcho of 25 well was trying to build a podcast, uh, you know, ch- menu of sorts coming out of his site. So we kind of struck at the right time where Mitch was partnered with, with me, Andrew, with Andrew to, get, yeah. to get 25 well up and going. And, uh, we, 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 we kind of, got in a good brainstorming session over a weekend where we just say, well, if we want to do that, you know, we have an argument like that. What's it going to look like and how long can we keep it going? Because if we find the, the first, you know, six, seven movies that we disagree on, that's great. But how, how is that going to sustain and last? And we did, we had, we had a good list of like, kind of our greatest hits of Twitter debates like La La Land and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and, and some of those Tree of Life, some of those movies, those movies that got our show started. Tree and once we ran out of those in short order, I was like, well, we got to, you know, keep doing this with other things or also incorporate, you know, some new releases that kind of can keep Will's press press credentials up in Phoenix. It, it's one more thing I can say is press coverage on my end. So we've been able to just get good streaks going to, you know, we're like, we're banked. We've been banked through the end of February since December. Where yeah. We, I was we, saying earlier, you guys really, we get, we get on heaters where you're, you're uh, putting in the episodes in the world. I, I, yeah. I have a lot of, um, I'm, I've got no shame in saying, man, I, I, I see what you're doing and it's something that I, I makes me, it motivates me. Mm. You know, I want to do things more often and, and you guys yeah. have just been, I have to, in the episodes. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of will like will wants to bring in all these guests and all these people. And I, and I have to tell will, cause I still have, I admit like every time I have a podcast each week, it, it, it takes away like in terms of just time. Cause I still have to be a dad. I still gonna be a parent. It sure. takes away one written movie review for me a week on the schedule, which oh, is, is, okay. is well, it's well and good because it's, I have a blast and it's fun. But at some point I don't want to, I can't lose the, the, the bread and butter that keeps me going. Like, well, it just keeps my standing. So it's been a challenge to balance the writing with the podcasting, but I admit from a, from an energy and a creative standpoint is it is a lot easier to get on the mic on a Thursday night at nine and, you know, bang out two, three episodes of a fun show than it is to languish for hours over a thousand word review where if it could, if it, if the podcast could sustain and keep me at the level I'm at, I would drop the writing for a good long time and let that flow. But, well, but we've been years. able to get a lot in bank and it's been good. 
You're so gifted at it, though, man. I mean, that's what allow my... me to blow some velvety smoke your way. Because, yeah, I mean, you're not I, the I first. Mean, I, I, well, no, good. I, I'm glad I'm I had a, I had a fellow podcaster who I've collaborated with a lot of times. Uh, his name is Aaron White. He does the Feeling Film podcast. He was a recent guest on our on our show. He's a buddy in Seattle. That same thing, like an internet buddy, a guy I've never met met through met through common people and common friends, and and we collaborate a lot. And uh, he's like, you know. I know you're having fun with the podcast, but you know, he, he noticed that my writing was like, at least the, the quantity was down. He's like, man, you're not getting to as many reviews as you used to. And I said, yeah, I know I'm doing the podcast thing. And he's like, he's like, don't get me wrong. You know, you're, you're good at the podcast and you're fun. You know, and I know it's fulfilling for you, but like you are a next level writer where you can't let, you can't lose that. And I said, I won't, but at the same time, got to find the right balance. So. I think that's how we bank. That's how Will and I tackle it. Where I have to say to him, like, "Hey, slow down. I got a busy week. I got to go. I have to do three movies and write them and go to them and all that stuff like that." Where, let, hey, tonight, let's get on and do three episodes. So I don't have to talk to you again for three weeks. You know, like that. Well, and banking those episodes, like, yeah, it buys you the time. I mean, it, it really does. And I, I, I feel yeah. like we're at that. We're at a cruise control point with the show where I feel like we'll never get thin enough where we're chasing, and that's a good thing. Well, and it's also just you guys have a really good back and forth in terms of how you communicate your difference of opinion. Yeah, both yeah. really, you know, you, you'll you're you're clear to hold your ground. It's clear where you differ, but it's never volatile. I can't say the same nah. about Brando and me. Brando will sometimes <laughs> get straight up want to spike the ball right in my face. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Will Will keeps asking. That's all literally the time. what I was trying to play off the soundboard. I isolated you saying, "I'm right and you're wrong." Uh, I'm glad it didn't work. Well, okay, I, in, in the delicate ground of being a non or trying to be a non pretentious critic, that that word "wrong," for example, is something I literally don't try to say. Like it's it's a banned word in a review. It's a banned word for me on social media. Where like, tell you can tell people they're full of shit, and you can present counterpoints, but I I don't want to be that asshole that says somebody's just wrong. It, whereas Will drops it like it's salt on breakfast, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean so, to be fair, right. even my, my, my friend here has some opinions that just are objectively wrong. That's <laughs> where it goes, you know? Uh, yeah. It's got to be about my choice in music or my uh, choice in clothes uh-huh. or, or something. I know it's Basically all of the above. Yeah, yeah, all of the above. My choice no, in phones. To go back to the idea of <laughs> like hating, not. to go back to the idea of hating each other, Will all the time, and he'll hear this on this episode, he, like he'll he'll message me in social media, like on the side, away from, away from Twitter, away from the public eye. He'll be like, uh, Hey, am I, am I doing all right? Am I, am I fucking up? I'm like, no, man, you're doing great. You know, like st- stay where you're at, stay at the heart of the show, stay the boisterous one. Like you're not going to rub me the wrong way. If you rub me the wrong way, I'll let you know. And it won't happen because you're not going to do it. You know? So it's I'm used great. to him now. So it's, it's piece of cake and easy. So. It's extremely entertaining, easy to listen to and addictive. And you know, there are a few things that, uh, for me, a good, any good show, and I and I, there's a lot I consume on podcast or, or or on YouTube. Will and I think I referenced Chris Chris Stuckman. You know, there's times where I will listen to what someone is saying, and it'll touch on something that I I was uncomfortable with in a movie or that I didn't like in a movie, and I really mm-hmm. couldn't find the way to express it exactly what bothered me about it. And maybe I, I moved through the rest of the movie and I forget about it later. Yeah. And I had that experience in listening to the episode about matrix resurrections. Ooh. Okay. Where do we get and, you? Well, you know, there's a few things there. Um, and I mean, I'm sure there's a long discussion to be had about 
Uh, you know, we were saying about how you, there's B movies that you love. I, I don't have a problem with some fan service and whatnot. Yeah, I but, can. I, I'm. I think a movie. If you're not doing fan service, you're kind of missing your objective right. target audience. Like, and test on the Ghostbusters thing too, right? Yeah. Like I would have been with you on Ghostbusters, yeah. uh, and he was very much upset about the fan service. Oh, I didn't mind the fan service. He was so right? salty about that movie. He's so salty about yeah. it. And uh, uh, you know, with Resurrection, I I thought the Nairobi reveal. Mm-hmm. I had not. I didn't give a shit about that character. I played through the games. I know that was the sure. lead in the games, but I couldn't put my my finger on why. And I think he was the one who nailed it. He was uh-huh. like, "Oh, here's a character I forgot was even in the original trilogy, mm-hmm. and there's supposed to be this big reveal, and they play yeah. it up like it's this emotional, deep, yeah, uh, oh, moment man. of real. And uh-huh. it is sort of a garbage throwaway. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll agree that that part did feel pretty fan servicey. Yeah, in well, a to movie who that though? Because I didn't know who the fan was of Nairobi. I mean, there's going to be some Nairobi stands out there. You don't know. There's some Jada Pinkett sure. posters on the wall. People out there, you bet. I'm sure that's true. I guess I don't know. Yeah. I barely remembered her though, and now I totally got what he was saying. I was oh like, yeah, oh, and really I know we'll we'll follow that up to talk about uh, Priyana Chopra Jonas's character. Where like that was even worse. Like they yeah. made her to be some important person. She's like the tiny little girl Neo meets for two minutes at the end of the third movie. Like that's supposed to matter. Okay. I thanks totally for bringing that up. That fucking kid. Well, and oh, the, he, geez, he makes a know? great point in saying where, you know, agent Smith's character is saying the same things, referencing yeah. things in the old movie. And it, it, it is, it gets a little bit eye rolly mm-hmm. where, you, you know, but those were not things that I was thinking of when I was watching it, right? I, yeah. I'm completely guilty of being like, uh, he's like, I still know Kung Fu. I know that's a cheesy line, but I kind of loved it for the yeah. moment, right? There, I there's did. good cheesy and bad cheesy. There right. You know, <laughs> there's and, a little bit of Army there. of Darkness in its entirety. Good mm-hmm. cheesy. Right. And yeah. same thing with fan service. Like, it's, it's how, how you use it and what context do you put it in. It, it, it could be done the right way. And like, like you're saying with Ghostbusters, like, even if you kind of have the feeling that the ghost of Harold Ramis is coming and even the old guys are going to show up for a quick head nod of a cameo, it's earned. You know, it, it makes it, it comes to the right place. It has the right payoff. And it works, you know. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to see it either. No, like, and, and it was so that. funny how he came at it from like, Hated especially it. when he's like, when "I told my friend that if they have a ghost of, of <laughs> Harold Ramis in this movie, go fuck yourself with a fork." I was like, <laughs> I'm just like, I, I, yeah. I would have never. Uh, I wouldn't have been upset about it, yeah. right? And I wasn't upset about it. Now, you know? in, in this, in the sausage making of our show. I never know those things are coming. Like we don't like we want we we kind of tell ourselves we we chit chat when we get the Zencaster on and all that and like you know hey I are you the lover are you the hater we kind of set our set our spots but we don't we don't talk about what we're gonna say and we don't script it on the side anywhere like we have our we have our intro and our outro on paper just to ne- knock that out but like i don't know what he's gonna say when the mic comes on and that's kind of fun what, yeah maybe that's there's, what i'm getting drawn there's some it. five minute like like he'll just uncork something in the in those opening fives 
and I'm on mute, just rolling over oh, here. Yeah. Like, holy shit, you're so right. Or, oh my gosh, you're going here, or it's going to be this. Oh, and, no time oh, to die. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. Ghostbusters, so, hilarious. <laughs> Matrix, he, even hilarious. I mean, yeah, he goes off on a rant. He will cork, he uncorks some winners, man. It's, it's a black. And that's, and I, as, hey, it, same thing with the Jack Lemon, Walter Matha stuff. For, for as, for as so called professional as I am, the show doesn't work without Will. Simple as that. I, you know, I, I, uh, I really relate to that a lot when I was first trying to think of what the hell I was going to do with a podcast. Um, I, the one thing I've learned and Brando and my wife have this in common, right? They're very, they're looking for every opportunity to pop my red balloon, right? If I have okay. like a happy little red balloon, they're both <laughs> there with little needles ready to yeah. take it away from me. Just a little bit. I, I need to make some clarification here. Because you're throwing me under the fucking bus. We don't I'm try not, to I'm pop not. You your balloon. You we bring real. you back down to reality. You, you bring me some reality. That's sometimes I surprise All right. Yeah. The, here's the thing. The bane of their existence is that sometimes they're disappointed when I achieve those things they thought were unrealistic. <laughs> then right. they get pissed at me, right? But when I don't, they're like, see? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm okay Give with me one it. example. noise them too. Uh-oh. Uh, see, now we're going to get into a debate. Another episode. Comes. Perfect for another episode. Just one, just one example. Just one. Uh, how many do you... No, come on. Are we really going to do this? Go for it. Moving I, on. All right. Get the popcorn. Because yeah. <laughs> he knows we're going to get into a debate. Now... Patreon content. Exactly. That, look, that's a really good idea. I can judge and hit the bell at the end and see who wins. No? Okay, okay. <laughs> no, no, we should definitely take it. I'm trying to think of all the ideas that we could do to get points, like make it a point system, make a game of it. Mm-hmm. I would love but, to, like, if there was a way to evolve Sinfile Hissifit, it would be uh, like a whose line is in any way that there's like a Drew Carey sitting there going, you know, 12, oh, you know, that 12 cool? points for Ryan, you know. Another show I love. Four points for Wayne Brady. That, that, I would love to have some play around with that, where it's something more rapid fire, something loosey-goosey, but where... We can evolve. There's there's always ideas out there. Well, as you can see with the way that that back and forth went with me and Brando, it was mm-hmm. Brando was the first person I called. And I said, you know, any anything I can think of where I would be the only person hosting anything I would talk about, I think people would get bored or roll their I, eyes and turn I, I, it the off. Same thing, too. Like, if it was just right? me, no matter how smart I pretend to think I am or informed or even Whatever. if I just got on and read my review with flashy words, it, it wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. It wouldn't go, they're going to hate it. Right. And yeah, I, and yeah. I knew having, you know, I, in fact, I think what I said to him and what my wife really, it's from my wife is that the only way that anybody knows that I don't take myself that seriously is with somebody like my wife, Brooke, or with somebody like Brando in the room mm. Yeah, to be that, that person's, that's the only way they're going to know I can laugh at myself or that yeah. I'm not taking it that seriously. Otherwise I come off uh, sounding like I, I think my shit does its thing, right? Well, that's the thing. Like, especially as the well, take take film critics and what we're normally look what we look like. We, it, if it's just me trying to say what I want to say about a movie, who's that for? It's for ego release for me more than it is uh, informing my customers on the side. Like, that's me wanting to hear myself talk. What it will say point. if you want if you have a podcast you're fifteen percent douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good measurement right there. Yeah. So uh, um, guilty. Yeah. I'm guilty. <laughs> yep. I thought all I was all of us are. Yeah. Like, I just said it earlier in the show. Like I'm listening to Will and I's podcast and the way it worked just to know how good we sound. So oh no, it's there. It's there. That's pretty great. 
Yeah, you definitely smell a little bit of your own fart after you say something like that. No, oh, it's true. Totally true. Well, yeah, I've been there, done that. I we I and the farts together. are delicious. Like, <laughs> come on, everybody loves so their own good. brand, like they say in Austin so, Powers. Right? Such a great vintage, dude. I don't smell mine until I leave and come back to them. <laughs> I go nose blind, wow. and then I'll leave and come back and be horrified. That's like next just level like power a right path there. of discovery, man. Wow. I have no idea. I feel so, sorry for your wife, Brooke. I do too. I'm I'm humble enough to admit it. Now I put together uh, some random questions mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of go through, uh, and then some movie based questions. We're going to just kind of buzz saw through real quick right. before we wrap right. everything up. All right. Uh, better charming but evil Hans. Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman, or mm-hmm. Hans Lanta, played by Christopher Waltz. I think you. I'll take Hans Gruber. I like he. <sighs> He's a bit of the OG, you know, talkative Euro trash villain. And I know Hans Landa is doing the whole period piece World War II thing, but you don't have a Hans Landa that Quentin Tarantino steals and borrows from other traits of other movies without Hans Gruber coming before him. Han, Hans Gruber, Hans Gruber's scary. He's a, yeah. you know, he's a bad guy. Hans Landa is terrifying. There's a difference. There, there is a difference for sure. But I, but I, but for like, if I want to watch a movie, give me Gruber. And that charm is what makes him so terrifying because you know how much of a monster he is. Yeah. I love that first 15 minutes of Inglorious Bastards. So good. So much. I wish the movie was done right after that, though. Yeah. I wish the rest of the movie was done. That's a shame. Same here. That's why I love it. Watch just that scene many, many, many times. Good to know. Yeah. Do you think movie theaters will survive long term? Ooh. Um, Yes, because I think, and here comes Spider-Man to help prove it, you know, I think for big things and big screen experiences, you can't beat it. You can't beat either the communal experience, you can't beat their levels of picture and sound. I mean, don't get me wrong, home theaters have really stepped up to do 4K and 8K and who knows what that's out there. And you can have a pretty sweet setup at home, but man, I tell you, nothing beats your ass rattling for a big, loud, awesome, dumb movie in, in a theater. I, and I, I don't yeah. get me wrong the pan, the pandemic has knocked them on their asses but i think what will survive on, and, and i know it's against the spirit of cinema and all that bullshit like that but the the big stuff will survive and keep theaters open you, we won't see the marriage stories and the as good as it gets and the the little indies won't, won't get a lot of chances to get big screen time but w- even though they should you know because there's a communal experience to be had in the silent hush of a theater too that isn't rocking and rolling with big stuff, but yeah. we're, it's going to get lost. And, I have or got to tell you to my clean. two particular experiences with that phenomenon. The first one, the more recent one was Ted two hmm. living in Tucson, Arizona. When they start shitting on ASU and you're in the theater opening weekend at roadhouse and <laughs> half the room is drunk. That scene gets a standing ovation. And then way before that, yeah, the, the more serious one was I saw Rocky Balboa in theaters opening weekend, mm-hmm. and unlike the previous Rocky movies, as I'm sure as probably three of us know, yeah. they filmed that boxing match like a real HBO fight for like the first half of it. Yeah, and my full theater got into it like it was a real fight. Oh, and yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, you can't beat that. Like, yeah. and I, I think it was for me that was Avengers. Ang- or, Absolutely, I mean it was just a concert like experience during that movie i think of even small moments too where i watched and this is saying something because it's a different setting but still a a comparative setting i watched spotlight 
which ended up winning Best Picture with the with the really tough story of the Catholic sex abuse scandals in Boston oh, yeah, and all that. That's right. Okay. And I watched I, wa- I watched that. I watched that at a closed press screening and even in that room where you're kind of, you know, it's sometimes poor form to emote and things like that, but you can hear the sniffles and hear tears in chairs, you know, like uh, sometimes a movie can grip you there. That isn't the same as the big rock and stuff. And that's a communal thing too, where those, you know, when the, when the lights come up and everyone's still drying their eyes and that's a cool thing too. And I feel I like love those that experience. experience. Me too. Me too. Like even I love that shit. Experience. Even like Titanic. Oh my gosh, I saw Titanic in the theaters four or five times back I, in 1997. Yes. And you have those moments where, in a hush moment, everyone is experiencing that same moment, even when it's not at euphoria. Dead Poets Society. Oh, Captain, <gasps> my Captain. I was yes. in the theater. We were men, grown men. Mm-hmm. We're all weeping. Yeah. Yeah. Weeping, dude. Weeping. But the other tricky thing where I think they'll survive, and this is something like industry politics stuff, is um, starting this August, um, a, a decades-old ruling has been lifted now where, for a long, long time, studios could not own movie theaters. You know, it was all separate. And I don't know if this is it, good. I know, I know, I know. I don't think, I think it's trouble too. But it was called the Paramount uh, Decrees. And it was something where Paramount used to own their own theaters. And then when they do that, they keep all the money and can only, kind of only put their movies in their houses, so to speak. But that's back in the day when the theaters were just the one screen houses in your downtown squares, you know, stuff like that. It wasn't multiplexes like they are now. And that that decades-long decree or whatever ruling lifted two years ago, and now the moratorium period ends in August where studios can now own theaters. And I feel like now that pandemic has knocked theater companies on their asses, tipping tiptoeing towards bankruptcy, <laughs> that the Disneys and the Amazons and the Apples of the world will take the Marcuses and the AMCs and the Regals, and they're going to swoop in, buy them at 50 cents on the dollar because they're struggling to just make money, rebrand them as their own, and look like the saviors of cinema. You know what I mean? Like, right. oh, look at That's... Disney come in and save theaters. And but, and ugh. and the, yeah, and <laughs> for them, it's the easiest business decision in the world because they get, they get the brick and mortar. They keep 100% of the money instead of 50% of the money because Netflix everything was split. Theater. Right. It, everything was split between the theaters like you know your amcs would keep 50 percent, disney would keep the other 50 percent for a particular movie now they can keep all of it so all they need to do like if if your average american is used to paying 12 dollars a ticket that disney only sees six bucks for watch disney buy amc start charging 10 instead of 12 keep all 10 but it looks like we're all getting a bargain and then all those closed disney stores that used to be in the shopping malls that are also dead thanks to the pandemic those happen to be those become your little lobby gift shops you know what i mean and because every disney movie the kids will come out and want to get a toy exactly get a discount with you know what this is and and they and they and they keep they keep all the box office they keep all the merch they keep all the concession sales like all that money now stays in one the owner's place this is Watch, I tell you what, mark the day. Somebody before the end of this year will buy somebody between August and December. I believe it. No, I've, I hadn't heard of it or thought of it. I believe it. Brandon, what were yeah. you saying? This is bullshit. And I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. This is just rapidly accelerating toward our dystopian cyberpunk future, <laughs> as best described by Neil Stevenson in Snow Crash. Oh, man. Deep and as recently kind yeah. of reiterated by one of those South Park coronavirus specials. Ooh. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, you, no, you've been I, a curmudgeonly old yeah. man for just, ten years it just, already. It Brandon. just feels 
it just feels dirty and wrong. It does. It's it's gonna especially in a multiplex setup. Like if yep. Disney if Disney buys your 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 massive fifteen screen theater, sure, if they wanted to, they can put Spider Man on all fifteen screens and probably sell it out, especially with the way it's going. But if you're a little indie that's just trying to get in a theater and you gotta now pay Disney money to go get some seat, you know, a seat at the table oh, and screen man. eight down the hall from Spider Man and screen one through five. That's going to be, that's a shitty marketplace. And that's, I don't, I don't know how forgiving and how accepting that's going to be. If you're, if you're Disney, just looking to make money. That's where there's a, like we have a roadhouse cinema down here in Tucson. That's We're starting to get an Alamo our, up here. Yeah. That's yeah. That's where the, the Alamos whatnot might wind up starting to fail. Yeah. Or the, the, or the, the, the ecosystem that's going to keep those places going are all the also rams that can't find a, can't find a seat. Like the the little studio, like the A twenty four movies, like the only place they'll ever get out of theater is if they go find a little guy instead of the big ones that charge him. Yep. So I, or or we're seeing what we already see now, and you guys are old enough to know this just the same as me. Where the eighties and nineties, the you know the the biggest diet were those perfect little mid budget programmers, those things that cost fifteen to fifty million dollars, star driven. Like you're talking about those Tom Hanks kind of movies, where you know not. Not made to be blockbusters, not made to be Academy Award movies, but just no. a nice, steady, easy little like here. The classic example of a little engine that could that turned into a big thing was something like The Fugitive, where that movie, that movie, that movie's budgeted at like $30, $40 million. Harrison Ford is your one star in it. It happened to be so damn good it got Oscar stuff, but at the same time, it was for the $35 million or $40 million it cost, it banked 200 at the box office and was that little thing that stood out and made money all you needed to do was you know have a budget of 20 and get back 50 and you were golden that marketplace is gone now that's all netflix you know where right. they get paid up front and that's it oh man i have a really good question you could you could answer for me go ahead whenever you go on wikipedia and whatnot and you see how much a movie's budget is mm. does that figure typically factor in the marketing as well no so when you see like Here's an example, uh, like Toy Story three a couple years ago, um, the budget of just making it was north of two hundred million dollars, and and you know the Disney marketing budget after that is they they're starting to say is either half of its budget or even equal its budget, so you have to think there's another. It wouldn't surprise me if it was equal. That's the thing, like so if they spent two hundred plus to make it, two hundred plus to push it in all your faces. Don't get me wrong, the movie made a billion, but at some point we're going to meet a too big to fail moment or you're now seeing too big to fail because when the place you make the most money is that theater where you're getting 12 bucks a head where without that you don't get it on a 12 bucks a month netflix subscription yeah you know, like that you're you're only getting them once so that's why in the last 2 years we've seen all these movies like top gun and james bond delay because the only way they will make their money back to to get out of the black or red is with the theater dollar and yeah. now we're at a point where the theater dollar isn't what it is and we're stuck with all these movies that are going to get haircuts to their theaters yeah, one thing I've enjoyed over the uh, the pandy is the fact that so many big Warner Brothers releases came out on HBO Max. Yeah, I mean, there's no fucking way I was going to pay money to see Mortal no. Kombat, but yeah, I, so, I hope my view contributed to their success because it was okay. I'm really shocked Dune got released that way. But, right. You know. No, the the thing the crazy thing is they're they're creating their own demise. When you go back, when you take it all the way back to the original question about will theaters make it, the challenge will be it's at the mercy of the theaters, not just because of that Paramount stuff I'm telling you about, but just the fading window of theater stuff where 
you guys remember this, where the gap between when a movie was in theaters and hit VHS was like six to 12 months. Yep. Yeah. That's some now, bullshit. Now it's down to like seven. You hear about it. It's like 17 days. I before, just saw Nightmare Alley on HBO. Right. So it's like 17 days at the littlest between the end of a theatrical release and like a VOD drop, let alone if it hands up on a physical media release or not. Some movies just aren't even going physical. So, yeah, or, or it's 90 or it's 30 or it's 45 where they're like they're plotting their own demise because they've made availability so short or or wide. Now, don't get me wrong. It helps because like and everyone's doing it where Disney, of course, has their has their own shingle of Disney plus and now Apple has one and now Warner's has one thanks to HBO max. And you know, what used to be just Netflix and a little bit of side stuff on Hulu is, and I I get why they've done that. Like why pay Hulu or Netflix to put my movies on for me when I can just open my own streaming service and get my own customers. And I get it, but it's, it's belittling business. That's going to push somebody out or even themselves or just pigeonhole it all the way. You know, the proliferation of all these streaming services does, uh, it's almost making cable TV seem like an okay option again. Yeah, I, that's the crazy it thing is, is like, I, really 10 years is. ago, I was a cord cutter. Like, I, I stopped doing cable and just got by on the streaming services here or just did, or did the bunny years of television. Cause I'm, I don't watch, being a movie guy, I don't watch a ton of television and I, I can get by in live sports. I'm that's, all right. That's good. If there's something, if there's something I want to watch, I'll just buy the season well, off iTunes. Easy. Exactly. I gotta got know. I gotta know. That. Redbox, you know? So, but now you're right. Like, if you're dropping, 15 for Netflix, 12 for Disney Plus, 10 for Hulu, some for Apple TV, Peacock. Yeah, like you're back to a $80, $90 cable bill yeah. plus <laughs> whatever cost to, you're, you're, you're streaming internet. Like you're guessing people's internet bills are $60 to $80. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're $50 back. You're, you're right. Cable all of a sudden at 50 bucks a month might just be a bargain again, which is crazy. That, that is crazy. True. Now, you just mentioned that you don't spend a lot of time watching television. One of the I questions don't. I wanted to ask you was what was the. Like, is there a television genre or is there a, like a like a Breaking Bad level show oh, that man. pulled you away? Um, the last just, TV. Just not the, so much on TV at all. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, the last water cooler TV show that had me appointment viewing, never missed it, was Lost on ABC. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's no yeah, true detectives, no, no, no uh, six I, feet unders, none, none I, of that. I, I, as, I say, as the cord cutter, I didn't pay for HBO. Like, I'm grateful and, that and I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Don. Yeah, and, and I'm a gravel road country kid where I never had cable in my life until college. Where I I yeah. Th- those classic memes that show up on Facebook of like, hey, give yourself a point for every show you've watched. I get like two. <laughs> Everyone else oh, has wow. like 15. I, I literally have never seen an episode of oh gosh, name it. It's it's a thousand things. My wife There's and I watched of, This yeah. Is Us and I watched Superman and Lois and the CW because I like that take of Superman right now and that's it. And that like the man, uh, what the Marvel stuff on Disney Plus or the Mandalorian or something. But yeah, I enjoy I, I'm that that's a whole I could go into an hour because I mean one of the things I, I did want to get into it may just have you back for a random discussion sure. episode just about whatever. Because I you know, of course I'm gonna want to ask about uh, uh, Ridley Scott and Scorsese shitting all over Marvel films and trying to blame them for all the, the, you know the the yeah. movies going downhill in their opinion, uh, which I don't think is the case. And I think Me there's either. great, there's they're really I have a lot of respect for a 
uh, 15 plus movies that are all tied together into one. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible They're doing something unprecedented. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, and uh, similarly, the television shows. I've enjoyed the shows. And again, I'm not looking for them to be always new. You know, I I, I enjoy them for what they are, and they're all kind of different. Right. You know? And I'm not a militant fanboy that expects them just because they're popular to win Emmys. If they're not oh, good enough right. for that, I, I don't care. a little out of pocket these days. Yeah, like they're all like, I remember when WandaVision was the first one to kind of Obviously, it came out first, had the first crack at Emmys, and they're like, you know, if Catherine Hahn doesn't win the Emmy, we're all going to riot. Well, go, go, enjoy that. She ain't going to win. Yeah, I think, I think that's what it is. It's, it's headlines, <laughs> right. it's headlines right. like that. Yeah. And the fact that the internet brings the toxicity, the toxic, like yep. 10% of any fandom to the top is what makes me hate so much shit these days. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's. I enjoy it, Rick and Morty. I don't tell people go. that, though. No. Like it's, it circles back to what we were seeing before of like trash and masterpiece, like the hyperbole, hyperbole sells in in both directions. And, and if you're not that, if you're not the best ever, it's, or it's, what have you done for me lately? I laugh at all those people lately. Cause I, as a guy who's in this for the long haul and, and has that longevity, things with longevity in mind, I laugh at all those people especially like on something like letterbox where all the five star ratings that come out instantly out for all these amazing things. I'm like, give it a year. Let's see who's still talking about something in a year. And it just all it takes is one year. And for example, name last year's best picture winner. What was it? A parasite? No, that's two years ago. And even still, then I, I own that yeah. movie. Still haven't seen it. Right. Exactly. Like it was everyone's it, you know, it little foreign film for a bit there. And then does anybody still bring it up as water cooler talk today? No. Last year's winner was Nomadland, which a bunch of you never probably saw and you're not missing anything. So (laughs) I, I, and that makes me go back to the idea of the health favorites and best thing where you're right. Things can be the best ever, but favorites last longer than best every single time. Bill Murray will go to his, his grave. God. Yeah, Bill Murray is God, but he will go to his grave with Ghostbusters and Caddyshack on his tombstone before it'll ever be lost in translation in Broken Flowers oh, or any Wes Anderson film. Like it, that's yeah. just where that's, that's really it's. Point. Oh, it, Life Aquatic was okay, but he but, won't be known for. He'll be known for Ghostbusters. Yeah, and favorite, yeah. favorites last longer than bets. You know. Mm-hmm. It's Tom Cruise will be remembered for Top Gun and stuff before he's ever going to be remembered for Born on the Fourth of July. It goes for every actor who's ever done anything. Favorites so, last longer than best every time. Something I that kind of brings to mind as far as favorites go, and, yeah. and it'll tie into something you and Will had talked about in one of your episodes because you you mentioned Kevin Spacey by name. Mm-hmm. And so my my one of my questions here was: Am I a royal piece of shit for loving American Beauty? No, and Kevin Spacey in it, and, and no, including also Kevin Spacey in Seven. I also loved yeah. Seven. I you know I. You might have gotten this vibe from me on the show, but uh, I don't. And may, this call me controversial. I don't cancel anybody. I'm there for the movies. I could give a yeah. shit. I it, it, different strokes for different folks, or it's also that idea of separating. And maybe this is a bit of the teacher part of me too, where like there's leave work at work. Or, or separate work from pleasure, or like, right? T- take, I still here. listen to Michael Jackson, man. Yeah, I'm sure there's still people listening. I, to, I, I believe I can fly to the ignition <laughs> remix by R. Kelly. You're I'm damn sorry, right, but I do. Sex it. in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. great R. Kelly songs that are I'm, yes. In con, when I think about the context, it feels a little weird. And but that's the same not me time, supporting the man either. I mean, no, I can separate the, the monster popular, from the artist. 
That's the thing. Yeah. Well, and, no, 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 hang on. The, 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 I can separate the shithead, the shithead from the art. Or the exactly. character from the man, you know? I, yeah, I'm not a person in persona, whatever you want to call it. So I, and that's, and I feel like there's a, con, in a warped way, I feel like there's a consistency to my slant of not canceling anyone versus the pick and choose wishy-washy nature of cancel culture where we're all going to pile on this person, but kind of ignore this person's bad traits or maybe forgive these people, but not forgive these other people. And I see so much waffling inconsistency or, or the rush to judgment stuff that it just infuriates me as the teacher of the room where I'm an innocent until proven guilty constitution teacher where yeah, until for example, uh, Army Hammer this weekend with his whatever animalistic wow. dating style stuff that Good he's call. got going. Yeah. Is he still into like cannibal cosplay roleplay shit? Whatever he's doing. Hey, you're doing it. If as long as you're not, as long as it's not disrupting your work and you do that shit at home, hey, I have fun, care. Army. You know, yeah. I don't care. But you know what? It's going to cost. It's going to cost Death in the Nile box office money this weekend. It's already delayed it to this point as as it is, and they try to hide him in the marketing, even though he's the number two of the movie. So <laughs> I just and, and, and I'll still thing, watch and then, that movie and enjoy it. Yeah, personally, uh, myself. Yeah, Ansel Elgort in West Side Story, whatever grooming of yes. young women thing I'm he does on on yeah. Snapchat, like. Here's here's the other <laughs> consistency thing that goes with it. If You're we, totally right. <laughs> but no, if we canceled, if we canceled everybody who's ever done a wrong thing, who's worked on a movie, we wouldn't have fucking movies. Well, half sorry. of old Hollywood. I mean, Thank I mean you. let's be fair. Oh my gosh. I, 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 I just gotta jump in and say doomed. I fucking hate the word cancel. It's people that are just suffering consequences for their actions. Yeah. No, and, and if, if, they, if they've if they done something wrong and, they, and the consequences come with it as warranted, not public opinion bullshit consequences, but like real, you've made a mistake and here comes the comeuppance consequences. Yeah. Have at it. Fuck Kevin around, Sp- find out consequences. Yeah. Right. Like Kevin Spacey, yeah, you probably yeah. did a whole bunch of wrong shit. You'll you'll have your day in court. And then you handled the apo- the quote apology in just the most terrible way you possibly we, could. Yeah. It, the weirdest thing about it out of this cancel the wave we've been on is the like I look at like Louis C.K. Like of, yeah. of all the people who've had whatever canceled cloud fall above them, he's like the one guy who's like, yep, I jerked off in front of people. They were into it. I was into it. If they weren't into it, they left, and I kept going. And yeah, I. He's like, yeah, but are you sorry about it? He's like, only if they. I would. I told him I was doing it before I even pulled Dick out. Whatever he was saying about it, like, and yet he's kind of like, this is me. Love it or hate it, I'm gonna keep performing. I'm gonna keep being me. So that's what I appreciate about it: the owning of it. Yeah, the fact that he just kind of owned it and lets people make whatever decision they want to make about it. I'm okay and, with that. And no, there's probably there's probably some him, dude, just saying. No, you know. yeah. And there's probably some PR outs that a lot of people are probably missing about this whole thing. Like if you just come out and say, you know what? Like like James Gunn in those tweets. Like if you just yeah. come out and say, Hey, I was younger, I was dumber. I, you know, I'm a better man since I've I've looked at what I did wrong and I've tried to be, you know, act accordingly and differently since then. I, I think my record shows that. Perfect. Yeah, you know, that that's the, the, yeah, there's nothing to chase. The people get bored, no. man. Yeah, it, 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 the, but it's it, if you want to not get chased, you gotta throw. I mean, and I know it's a pride swallowing, ego swallowing thing, but you gotta put some contrition out there somewhere. And that's yeah. the part that the worst offenders 
probably can't do or aren't willing to do or we're never going to get they're it. sociopaths right there's just some of them that are just 100 yeah. sociopaths but at the same whether, whether, whether they were, whether they yeah. were president or a famous yeah. actor but at the same time i it doesn't stop me from watching the movies because and I, i'll play the group card of um kevin spacey is not the only person who's in seven you know not the only person who made seven yeah. not the only person Absolutely. who deserves to be seen and honored in seven like it, it, we're talking team effort stuff here. That's a and it's, joint, right? Right. Thanks, and it, it's it's the thing is like this cancer culture, and that's the picky and choosy part. Is like they only care about the above the title people. If it's a little person who does something horrible on a set, we never hear about it. But we hear right, about it if they're a big star with a Q rating and a Twitter following. <laughs> you didn't hear about that boom mic operator who got a DUI the other right. day. Did you? Yeah, yeah, but, right. And, and if that guy gets convicted of DUI and loses his job, he earned it. Like you said, find out, fuck around and find out, you know? But, and it's that's the picky and choosy part. So I just don't. Like I'm here for the movies. That's the easiest, dumbest answer I put to it. Is I no, don't care you know what? It's it's a Woody great Allen, answer. Same thing. Like I, I I'll watch answer. his movie. I'm here for the movies. Yeah. I like it. I mean, that's 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 a lot of why I'm a fan of the show. I'm a fan of the podcast for that reason. Yeah, I Will's kind of there who, too. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. We're gonna do an episode where we we have the same time to talk to Will and get, uh, you know what what makes him go crazy for movies. And I can't wait. Cause that's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of fun. I'm sure um, he and I will find something to fight about. Yeah. yeah you <laughs> I'm will. sure that you guys will be agreeing on something and I might be the, the man out. We'll see. We'll see how that all works out. Um, now Don, before we let you go, I have a uh-huh. question because now you live and are from that Chicago area. Am I wrong? Yeah. I'm a, gra- I'm uh I'm a gravel. There's the other thing that surprises people. I'm a gravel road dairy farm kid who is the, like, one of the one of the few people who like left his small town and lives in the city where all of my a large majority i should say of my family and former schoolmates are like don how could you live in the murder capital of the world like what are you doing up there and i you know i'm <laughs> married to more i i know and i'm married to you know i'm married to a minority woman who's chinese i mean she's lived here all her life but even so like it's not one of my own kind so to speak where i come oh from gosh. a very red state place and i now live in and live and love a very blue state kind of mentality because that's kind of chicago and yeah i i love it i I never, I, I'll go back just because it's family and all that, but it's, this is home and I'm fine with it. Liz, you're, you're in, a, I'm in a similar situation. I live in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm. I am there's in some South there, yeah, state uh-huh. land. Yeah. And then yeah. Air, Brando's in Arizona, which Will's in Arizona as well, right? Mm-hmm. He's in Phoenix, but Brando's in Tucson. So Phoenix is more red than Tucson is. Tucson yeah. is a little blue dot. Um, Yeah, I have the, the same weirdness. But the reason I ask is because our... Our normal co-host, who's out sick lately, Becky, is yeah. from that area as well. And Brando and I have had an ongoing joke, which Ooh. we need some some perspective on from somebody else who's from the area. Now, All right. we've been saying for a while that everything I've been went saying for a while. Well, <laughs> I've been on the same boat, but you started it. And look, SNL stole the joke from you. I'm just going to say it straight up. Uh-oh. So. Do you agree that when the Cubs won the pennant, it threw the timeline into chaos and doomed us all? Yes, I completely agree. So we, so you're you're concurring with this yeah, because we were saying it. Water. We well, were look, joking look, about look, it because what? To what? Uh, a month later, Trump won the election. No, yeah, just see? a couple, couple days later. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> and then who are two of Trump's biggest boosters? The Ricketts 
the Ricketts family that owns the Cubs. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so yeah. And then like, yeah, look at it all go south. Like the Cubs have never got a bite of the other apple. Uh, the NBA it just goes soft. on it, and yeah, on. It, yep. The following does not necessarily reflect the opinions, views, policies, or beliefs of the Ruminations Radio Network, its partners, affiliates, stylists, neighbors, or next of kin. The Ruminations Radio Network does, however, support free speech and wishes you, citizen, a triumphant day. So basically what I'm saying is the Chicago Cubs are responsible for coronavirus. They're responsible Mitch, for insert your, Mitch, okay. insert the disclaimer there. there if, I guarantee you there was a you Cubs been, fan who worked at the Wuhan laboratory. <laughs> if you have been to, and if you've been to Wrigley Field or know of Wrigley Field, like it's a, it's a, it's a ballpark with no parking lots. Like it is embedded in the neighborhood, like a, completely around the park are houses like they're it, it, well they've wow. kind of started a little bit of a complex now where if you got to go to a game you take public transportation you park seven zillion streets away and walk so like it's when you're oh. in that park and in that area like obviously because the cubs are, are there the, the bar scene around that area is amazing it's all these you know like you see in chicago kind of bars like mon pop shitty little old style serving That's bars cool, though. It, like it's that. a it's a cool neighborhood although it's gotten ecosystem and socioeconomic wise like who are the people who can afford to go to professional games rich affluent white people so right now you have right so now you have rich affluent white people who own the businesses around it where it's gotten a little hoity-toity but it's still that kind of like neighborhood where everybody's on top of everybody pissing in the streets and you know and and, you know (laughs) drunk and like like, new orleans yeah yeah drunk sounds weirdly wonderfully charming and i yeah yeah and i'm not being sarcastic no but it's that weird drunken derelict neighborhood of just people on top of each other where if yeah if you're going to spread diseases it's going to happen in a place like that you walk into a place like that you're like yeah these are my yeah. dirt bags. So I, uh-huh. I don't know if you caught the SNL it's a bit. Filthy but stadium. That I mean, the Wrigley Field is for all the charm it is, is being notoriously an old filthy. Park, right? That's notori- a reputation. Like that the trough have. urinals. That, oh, it's just hilarious. Oh, God, nightmare yeah. fuel, dude. Forever uh-huh. unclean. I assume you just somehow wind up with Hep C walking into one of those bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, uh, <it's, laughs> they just give you the needle and just stick it right in your exactly. Just like osmosis. It's so bad. Yeah, infected. I, I, I mean, it's it's a, of course I'm a, I, and I am a Cub fan, so it was a, mir- a miracle that they won. And I, if it, if it means fifty years of bad luck because of what's happened since, I'll take it. But at the same so, time, there you go. Yeah. See, that's the way to reply to that. Yeah, it's fifty years of bad luck, and I'll take it for it. another championship. <laughs> yeah, we were saying that, and SNL did a bit cold open where they were doing a. a their their Biden impressionist was there, and mm. the uh, Biden from an alternate timeline comes walking in, <laughs> and, and it's uh, uh oh my god, his name just escaped me. He did the Staten Island movie where he's the fireman's son that was Pete lost. Davidson. Oh, uh, Pete, Pete Davidson. Davidson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Pete Davidson comes in as young, like hip, cool Slayer Biden Davidson. with a chest tattoo. Oh it was God. awesome. Yeah, that was so funny. He's like, yeah, the, the the Cubs winning the pennant was the event in the timeline that skewered everything into uh. chaos, and we we were thinking. Either somebody is listening to the show or it's just kismet that's already been out there, mm-hmm. but whatever the case, we're saying it, they stole it from Brandon. Full disclosure, I'm pretty sure I saw that someone said that on Reddit the night Trump won. Yeah. I yeah. Like Something we were, about the Chicago Cubs fucking yeah. us all over. We Cold were I, and in this city, because we're we're a very, very blue city, we were on such a high. Like that was the most magical time oh. to be oh. for, for like like you said, for like five days and then Trump talk about wins. an emotional bell curve. Holy no. shit. And then Trump wins and we're all just defeated as can be. Cause this city, this city just just 
just does not stand for anything red. Yeah. Becky, you heard it here. Uh-huh. Don's made it official. The Cubs <laughs> screwed us all. Yep. Worth it though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I'm so I'm spoiled. Just, like men just want to watch the world. Burn. Uh, I'm spoiled though because Chicago, like every team in the city, has won a championship in my lifetime. Like those '85 well, Bears, sports, that, major that, sports city. Too. Yeah, like I mean, those '90s Bulls. The oh, Hawks Super had Bowl trophy. What's that? The like? Blackhawks had three cups. The Sox have won a, cha- a championship. The Cubs have. We're charmed. Like we're lucky here. We're super lucky. What a cool city to live in. It's man. it's a blast, man. If you're ever here, beers and shots on me for sure. Don, I'd to- love to come visit. I have friends in Minnesota, so I'm not that far. I mean, I, I got big, big ball money. I can travel now. Yeah. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we need to make it a thing, to be honest. And hopefully, we'll be able to get together as a network at oh, some point. That be something? But um, yeah. Don, thanks for coming on the show. We, no, Charlie I, Brandon, I, thank you very much. Man. I mean, we went a little longer than I anticipated. And I'm glad we did. It was really easy conversation and. Man, it was every it was a lot better than I could have hoped for. I really appreciate you coming on. It was You're great. very welcome. Very, very good, Brando. Thanks for bringing the charm, man. Always. I just got the email that my iPhone shipped. It'll be here on Wednesday. <laughs> Count the minutes. Put it in your pants. Put it in your pants. Save it till after the show. Save <clears> the show. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, uh, thanks for listening to another episode of Brevity Box. It got us really just say thank you thank you thank you to what a great guest don casablanca don as we know him on the ruminations radio network discord uh if you have lost track of what this whole episode has been about it's been about the cinephile hissy fit podcast which don is one of the two hosts that lead that show into excellent addiction and entertainment you will enjoy it and you should check it out and you can find it pretty easily wherever you find your podcast whether that's on spotify or itunes or if you need help you can go to the website at www.ruminationsradionetwork.com and find a link to the cinephile hissy fit podcast as well as any of the other podcasts that are on our roster here at the ruminations radio network uh, appreciate you listening come back next week we'll have more will to come soon appreciate you guys thanks again Bye.